Hi, this is Pete Link. We're back at churchandgospel.com, and we are delighted to have you join us. Today, we are going to deal with an important uh, figure in Baptist history, and that is, of course, Andrew Fuller. So as such, we've invited, invited our favorite pastor theologian on campus here, Dr. Peter Beck. How are you? I'm great, Pete. Good to be back again. Well, what's exciting about this is everyone, most people know that you are a church historian, one of the best church historians, I would say, in the country. Um, and uh, But beyond that, you're also a pastor of a local church. And uh, so I imagine if we talk about Andrew Fuller um, that, uh, today, that you're going to uh, be able to describe him as a pastor theologian, not just from a church history perspective, but maybe help us think today about from a pastor's perspective. Why does, why does this guy matter? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think Fuller exemplified, modeled for us how you can be a thoughtful, thinking, theologian type, but he did so in the context of a local church. He was never an academician. He never was a professor. Mm. He always worked in the context of his church or the churches in his community. And so he helps us think about how to think in a way that actually makes a difference in the local church. Well, give us some context. Uh, when are we talking about Andrew Fuller? When, when was he around? Who was he? Andrew Fuller, British Baptist, late 1700s, uh, born around the year 1750, 55, or 50 exact birth year, but the latter part of the 1700s, so he would have been full swing operant during our revolution. Mm. He would have overlapped a little with John Wesley, the great founder of the Methodist Church. William Wilberforce would have been rising in importance in British politics. And so during all that, French Revolution shortly thereafter, and so really in an epoch-changing era for the English-speaking right. world. Absolutely. And he's dealing with it from the context of a small country church Church, especially for that generation, miles from London, mm. but had a world-changing impact in many ways. Small country church, miles from London. So that means today we would find his old church actually within what we would call probably London, a right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you could yeah. probably take a subway or a tube <laughs> stop or two. And, oh, that's but, amazing. But back then, probably 30, 40 miles outside of London, maybe if, even that far. Mm. But in basically a hotbed of famous Baptist life mm. during the 1700s. So what does it mean to be a hotbed of famous Baptist life? What's what's happening? Are, are people debating issues? Are they struggling over um, relationship to other denominations? What's going on? It's, it's ironic. Again, this would have been a rural community, mostly farming or mill villages. Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, 30, 40 miles outside of London, some of his contemporaries. And yet in the same villages he's from, some of the most famous Baptists in Baptist history were also <laughs> born or even served in the same church as he did. So people like William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement, yes. was a personal friend. John Gill, one of the most famous Baptist theologians and pastors of the 1700s in England, is from that part of the world. Mm. John Bryan, who is notorious rightfully for his theology on some issues, grew up in the same area. So in this one little small rural farming area of Great Britain, Seemingly, every major Baptist, at least of that particular persuasion, lived and operated within 50 years of each other. So there was something in the water. There was something in the water, right. and it wasn't just the Baptists. So what was pressing upon his heart? Did he come to know the Lord early in life? Did he grow up in a Christian home? How, how, did, he get, how did he become the Andrew Fuller we talk about? Grew up near like everybody else, near a church, you know, close vicinity, both proximity as well as life-wise. Right. Was saved as a fairly young teenager, okay. you know, based on his testimony, but immediately immersed himself, pun intended, in the church, <laughs> became the preacher boy, started doing a little preaching for his pastor, got the opportunity to preach in other churches that needed pulpit filled, and so pretty quickly began to develop a skill set that would help him one year. Right. 
Interestingly, it was not his intention, mm. and the theology of his pastor was so bad that if you look at where he's coming from, there's no reason why Fuller would become <laughs> the theologian and pastor he became. So there is hope for for those who uh, are struggling pastors. We can st- we can still raise up. Exactly. Uh, Thank the Lord. <laughs> That's encouraging. It is all about grace, is it not? So, what were the how were the scriptures important, to Andrew Fuller? Oh, for him and for all of Baptists, really, would be the same thing if we say about all of them, mm-hmm. would be Scripture is definitive, you know, that they would argue that they are the, as Baptists, the logical extension of the Protestant Reformation doctrine mm-hmm. of sola scriptura, that the Bible regulates everything we do. We do what it says, and we don't do what it doesn't say. And mm-hmm. so for Fuller, it was always a question of what do those words on the page actually mean and how do we live it out was he dealing with greek and hebrew did he train himself in those things in the case of fuller some but not extensively not Hmm. as much for example as his friend william carey who would be self-taught in many languages i mean carey's on a different planet linguistically than the average human being but which is which was what enabled him to go do his mission right exactly but most of these guys during this era again remember rural england Hmm. are going to be self-educated or home educated right and so Limited resources academically, but God used them in spite of that. That's great. That's fantastic. So this is, to me, he seems kind of like an unlikely candidate, right? He didn't necessarily grow up in a vibrant home. I mean, he wasn't far from the church, he said. The church he was in wasn't necessarily the strongest church ever. I mean, this was he wasn't sitting under John Christostom's preaching, for example. Um, He didn't have the world-class education that all of us uh, yearn for, and I'm sure they yearn for too. And yet, what happens in his life? The guy's able to use him in spite of all that. Mm. And in one sense, in the case of Fuller, actually left him in those circumstances. Right. You know, some of the others grew up and beyond it, went to you know to London, or in the case of Kerry, to India, right. became a world-famous missionary. Fuller continues the rest of his ministry life to live and operate in the same context till the day he died. Mm. So he's a picture of a faithful pastor who stays there. Uh, so he's taking care of his flock, uh, taking care of the people in his church. What sort of issues as a pastor was he forced to address with? Primary issues early on would have been theological within his okay. own tradition. You know, they were struggling. Well, what do we do about evangelism and how do we do it? Right. And Fuller early on is making the case. He knows intuitively that the Great Commission applies to all Christians. But many in his circle were arguing the Great Commission applied only to the original 12 apostles. Wow. And so when Jesus says, you go make disciples, many of his contemporaries believed it applied only to the surviving 11 after the resurrection. Hmm. And so Fuller is struggling to prove there's got to be something more here. And in fact, his most famous work, shorthand title, The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation, is the argument that the scriptures there in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 are still a duty upon all believers today. And that becomes kind of the driving truth that will begin the Baptist missionary movement. So he's foundational in helping us uh, as Baptists develop a passion for missions. Um, he is doing it in the context of a local church. Um, what what really led him to pre- not only be the pastor talking about, but the pastor theologian was was he influencing people with writings? Was he influencing people with just debates? What, how was he interacting with others? Yes, all of the above. <laughs> okay, I mean. In one sense, a great impact is just influencing other pastors. Right. Those who with him agree to start the Baptist Missionary Society. So he just you know, he becomes a founding secretary for them and basically ran the finances for the group the rest of his life and supported William Carey from back home. Hmm. In fact, Carey would often say something to the effect of 
that he would have been lost without Fuller back home, right. to use the analogy that he used, holding the ropes as hmm. Carrie went down into the mines of depth and sin. Yeah. But beyond that, Fuller's writing books. You know, he's one of the most prolific Baptist theologians of the era in terms of the number of works he's written. Cheap version today, you can buy three big volumes of his work. Hmm. Now a group of my friends are actually producing scholarly editions of his books that, to give you an idea of how important these are, the retail is going to be over $100 per volume. Yes. And, and so yet there's an audience waiting to see these books. So if, if anybody needs a gift for Dr. Becker, for Dr. Link, there you go. That would, exactly. that would work. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. So I like the fact that he has influence in the pulpit. He has influence with writings. Uh, he's, you know, obviously every generation there's debates over particular issues. But it seems to me that you've described somebody who's, throughout all of that, is trying to focus us back upon the mission of the church. Exactly. Yeah. What, what does the scripture say and what do we do with it? And he was open to be taught. He was a very teachable man. I mean, he was in communication with those in his own group, those who, with whom he had butted heads and disagreed, but he was also in often open communication with Christians here in America and a number of letters flying back and forth between he and various Congregationalists, in fact, not Baptists, but Congregationalists right, right. in New England, descendants of Jonathan Edwards, or personal friends of Fuller. Hmm. And so they're dialoguing wow. back and forth, encouraging one another, and when need be, challenging one another, and at times scolding, even reprimanding each other for their conclusions. So this is what's interesting about the life of the church in the end of the 18th century and uh, beginning of the 19th century, is that Baptists are part of a larger cross-denominational discussion. Um, do you see any uh, comparisons from what was in Fuller's day to what is or is not happening today? Oh, there are probably several different ways we could go with that conversation. I think the encouraging thing is, after maybe a century of Baptists, either being self-sequestered or being pushed right. to the periphery because of our views or what are assumed about our views. Now in the modern evangelical world, Baptists are once again, in many ways, a leading spokesman. Hmm. You know, that when you're looking for an issue, you call our leaders and ask, you know, what do Southern Baptists think? And it's not because we're numerous, but because we're actually thoughtful. Hmm. And so I think there's a sense that we've kind of come back around perhaps to being at least communicants Right. In the worldwide discussion of Christianity and evangelicalism. Flip side, you know, I think he embodies for us the same issue that sometimes the pastor needs to make sure his own flock is in order. Hmm. And so Fuller never ignored his own congregation while dealing on a, basically a global stage. You know, he's always faithful to his own church, even to the end. So, now, just for comparison's sake, we're not talking about a thousand-person megachurch here, right? Oh, no, maybe a couple hundred. Right, a couple hundred. So, many times, as you're in a small church, or a rural church, or even uh, as a, a city church that's small, there's this modern sense, especially if you listen to pastors online, or listen to podcasts, you know, unless you're making a lot of waves, you're not making meaningful waves. It would seem that Andrew Fuller's life is kind of the opposite of that. And, and, and by God's providence, being where he was, was big enough of a church to have an influence, but most of his influence probably really came through his friends' connections, mm. you know, because he knew this guy in London, he knew this guy in Northampton or wherever. He was actually, in one sense, freed up to do perhaps more than he could have done right. had he been in a larger church context. It, in God's providence, the blessing was fuller head free time, or mm. less right. of a burden in terms of the number of congregants to care for. 
that he could spend his evenings in writing, that he wasn't spending all day, every day, going house to house with his congregation, that he was able to, you know, maintain correspondence with Christians half a world away. Right. Because he had the time to do so. Yeah. So perhaps the pace of life uh, in the country was a, was a, uh, enabled at least part of his time to be uh, divided beyond just traditional pastoral concerns. But what about the guy who's sitting here today who, because more and more pastors are forced to be bivocational, more and more pastors are, are not able to seek as much education as they would like. How does Andrew Fuller's story affect how they should lead their church today? I think he's a word of encouragement that you can still have a big impact. Hmm. That, you know, the size of your church isn't the measure of the size of the effectiveness of your ministry. Wow. You know, that we're not going to be measured by the number of conversions we have, but perhaps by the number of conversations we have. <laughs> and Fuller was able to communicate, again, broadly in his own region, in the London, you know, that he was a noted speaker and invited into places that perhaps, had he had a large congregation, he could not have done. Right. But at the same time, his import today is not his celebrity back then. Right. But, you know, Good. his legacy is the writings, both the personal and the theological that have endured beyond those connections of fame that might have been given to him at the time. Mm. So this is, I think, the great thing about leveraging uh, church history. As Baptists, we're always going to be about the Bible and focus on the Bible, but connected in our study of the Bible is how people have read it before in, in various traditions, uh, in other disciplines, systematic theology, biblical theology, etc. But I especially find for pastors, and most of my pastor friends that I, that I know well, find a lot of comfort in biographies. It would seem that Andrew Fuller would be an example of somebody whose life story really does speak today because he's this imperfect person who's trying to walk in the gospel and uh, uh, is able to pastor his flock. So I find great encouragement for for us as, as Baptists and for larger evangelicals, uh, even beyond Baptist circles, and, and reclaiming the knowledge of church history. What would you say then if you could pinpoint one part of church history that uh, he has shaped for us uh, that that we could leverage? Uh, if you could take it down to one point, what would what would your final point on him be? Oh, that'd be a tough one. My personal inclination, again, would be always the connection to Fuller or to Fuller and Carey in the missions approach. I mean, others would argue that he's the greatest Baptist theologian. Period. Hmm. You know, that maybe perhaps not as prolific as some, right. or as profound as others. But when you bring it all together, you know that his ideas are shaping and molding a generation or more of Baptists who will follow him, both in England and, ironically, here in the American South. Hmm. They either loved Andrew Fuller because they saw something helpful in him, or the occasional guy who thought Fuller had sold the farm and, you know, <laughs> had committed the unpardonable sin of, you know, agreeing with the other guy right. and moved on. But he was too influential to ignore either way. Uh, that's powerful. That's powerful. As always, Dr. Beck, we enjoy getting together with you. Join us uh, each week here at churchandgospel.com as we handle doctrine, church history, theology. We try to help the church today to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. And thank you for joining us. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us next week. Thanks. Thanks.